Welcome to the PEBC podcast. My name is Michelle Jones, and I will be hosting our series on phenomenal teaching. This series is a collection of conversations with various authors, classroom teachers, education leaders, and staff developers whose work has influenced the PEBC teaching framework. In each episode, we'll explore how the strands of planning, community, workshop, thinking strategies, discourse, and assessment cultivate student agency and understanding for each and every learner. Thank you so much for listening in. Today, Chris Tabani is joining us to talk about student engagement, the opportunity gap, and planning for student understanding. Chris was named the ILA Thought Leader in 2017 and is the author of multiple books, articles, chapters, video series, and online courses. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Michelle. It's great to be here. I am so glad you're here, and I'd love to start off today by talking about your books. And I have a true confession. I was teaching middle school reading intervention when I read it, but I don't get it came out. And I felt like there was a hidden camera in my classroom and that you could see everything that was happening and that you wrote that book just for me and to really help me reach my students. Because at that time, my students could access text, but they couldn't comprehend. And I was just blown away when that book came out because I was like, oh, this person knows exactly what's happening in my classroom. Well, then fast forward a couple of years, I was teaching university courses. I became a staff developer and instructional coach. And then, and so do I really have to teach reading came out. And I was like, again, Chris Devani is following me around and watching my life. And as I read that text, I was like, oh, she knows what's going on. And she really understands this work in classrooms and in schools and that teachers and instructional coaches and leaders are grappling with. So I know that you've read, written things you know, recently like, so what do they really know? And you're the co-author of No More Telling is Teaching. So I'd love to start off by just asking you the question, how do you do it? How do you know what to write about? How do you come up with your ideas and these topics and you know, sharing all of your thinking with us? What's your, what's your process? What's your motivation? <laughs> that's, that's such a great question. Um, I, th- I, I think I write about what I don't know. And um, I think the writing and the watching and the talking to kids and talking to teachers helps me to know. Uh, so you, from reading my first book, you knew I was a struggling reader. I could decode, but I had no idea what I've read. And, um, you know, I think, it, I think it's a be vulnerable piece of just letting, um, you know, just kind of not faking it and just saying, I don't get this. So like right now, the piece I'm really struggling with is this equity and access piece. And what does it mean to be an anti-racist? And how is a white, uh, you know, middle-aged, middle-class woman um, being racist in the classroom unknowingly? What, you know, what, what am I doing that um, I need to stop or do better? And so, I, th- I think it's just that idea of trying to figure out um, what I don't know and how to do it better. And as I've gotten older, I've realized that I'm not alone. I thought really that I was probably the only teacher in the whole world, the whole the only person in the whole world who read words and had no idea what they read when it was hard or boring. And then after I read it came out, I, I realized, gosh, there were so many people who were like that. Um and, you know, PBC saved my life, I think, with the thinking strategies, because that that helped me learn how to talk back to text as an adult reader. So then I could go back to my classroom and and model for students how to do that. So, um, you know, I, 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 I just think there's 
trying to figure things out as a teacher is where the rubber meets the road, as opposed to just thinking you have it all figured out and just following a guide. Um, so, um, I think, wow, that's curious. It's such a gift. I mean, really you have taken your experiences as a learner and as a teacher and a leader, and then that writing pours out for the rest of us. And so, you know, I think about the work that you have, you know, provided for so many teachers and the thinking and those texts. And I think about your relationship with the PEBC. And as you know, Phenomenal Teaching was just published by Wendy Ward-Hoffer. And within that text, we published the PEBC teaching framework. And that framework really illustrates the ways in which community planning, thinking strategies, workshop, discourse, and assessment all come together to create opportunities for agency and understanding. But I think it'd be really interesting if we could talk about equity and access and engagement. How are those connected? And then what are the instructional practices that you think can support those outcomes for kids? Yeah, so I've always had trouble with the term achievement gap. I've just hated that word those words. And I think partly because it connotates some kids get it and some kids don't. And I think there's sometimes that understanding of it's too late to help certain kids, especially at the secondary level. Um, and so that idea of achievement gap, I've just always kind of ignored that. I've always tried to think about it as an opportunity gap. And, you know, how do we give kids opportunities to, um, improve their reading and writing, especially if they're older readers and writers. And um, thinking about, you know, everything from the text we offer them. Do we offer them choice? Do we offer them text in their interest level? Do we offer them text that's that's near their readability level at that time? Um, I think about topic. Do we give kids an opportunity to study relevant, interesting, current topics? Um, I think for me, uh, with older readers, sometimes we forget about time and how important time is. And and sometimes it takes kids more time to read something and talk about it. And um, we just are so worried about getting through content that we leave those kids behind and, and um, they don't ever get the opportunity back again. And so um, really trying to think about what are the kind of um, targets that kids need? Uh, everybody has a different rate of learning and uh, what are the different targets and how do I design a mini lesson that helps them hit that target? And so oftentimes with struggling readers, it's around a thinking strategy. How do I help them talk back or get unstuck? Um, I think also task. You know, am I giving kids stupid things to do, like fill out worksheets, or am I giving them a an actual task to demonstrate that they are hitting that target? And does that task have an audience bigger than than the classroom teacher? Um, and I think also um, this idea of tending to kids, especially now, as we, as we go back, like how are we going to tend to our students and and our, you know. In what, when I was in the classroom, sometimes when a kid would shut down, I would just say, what do you need? 
And sometimes they would say, I, I don't know what you want me to do. Or sometimes they'd say, I need a pencil. And sometimes they would say, I don't know what I need. And then that opened the door for me to say, okay, well, here's three things I can help you with. Like we can find another text. Um, you can find it. We can, here's are different ways you could show me your thinking. But I think that just tending to children right now uh, is going to be so important. It's always been important. Um, but just even checking in on them. I think with COVID and the way we're never going to be able to go back to teaching the way we've always taught. And, and, and maybe we shouldn't, I mean, I don't think we should, I think this is the time to figure out, you know, how are we going to meet more kids needs and, and I, and actually be more humane um, and not have our, you know, um, dedication to, to covering content, but really dedication to individual students as best as we can. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting listening to you know all of those variables that you just described or all of those actions we can take, if you will, to help address the opportunity gap and to support all learners. So I heard things like providing time for readers, particularly adolescent readers, uh, providing tasks that are meaningful and that are rich, making sure the targets are not only achievable, but interesting for, for students. And this idea of tending or care. So when you think about all of those variables coming together in a classroom, what's your vision for a secondary or an elementary an elementary classroom? You say, you know, you don't think schools will ever look the same again, that we're probably moving into perhaps a more humane era of education where we're thinking a little bit more about, you know, teach the reader, not the reading kind of a mentality. So what does that look like and sound like for you? I know that you have experience as a kindergarten teacher as well as a high school teacher. So what, is that, what does that look like? Paint a picture if you can. Well, I, I think teachers um, who, I, who I got to speak with during these last couple of months trying to keep kids engaged on Zoom. And, and I, think, I think teachers who only had students behaviorally engaged, who only had students who were compliant, really struggled. Um, and I think when I define behavioral engagement, um, it's it's knowing the systems and structures of the classroom and how we learn, but it's also knowing like what are the behaviors of readers or what are the behaviors of writers. But behavioral engagement alone doesn't ensure kids are learning. You know, we also want to hook them emotionally. We want to we want to give them opportunities to, um, you know, connect to us as teachers, of course, but to c- connect to peers, connect to the topic, connect to. Um, who they are as, as learners. And, um, I think, I, I think teachers, a lot of teachers really did a good job on that. Just checking in with kids and having, um, you know, smaller groups. Um, but I think the third piece that cognitive engagement is, are we giving them something big and juicy and relevant to study or are we marching through a canned curriculum? Um, you know, the, the high school kids got really creative on how they showed up with, you know, their Zoom presence just from everything of putting a picture of, of themselves in front to, you know, lying in bed and not even doing it. And so I think we're going to have to really think about why what we're teaching and learning matters. And we're going to have to give them um, these relevant topics that they can dig into and, and, and really do real work. I think that's the, 
part that's kind of exciting for me is like we need this we need this younger generation right now we've got to give them real opportunities um to read and write and and talk and figure out and create things that uh is 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 going to get us through this time that we're in right now mm-hmm. absolutely and it's so interesting to think about those three pillars if you will of engagement the behavioral engagement, like how do we show up? How do we do school? What does it look like and sound like? We know in the last three months that completely changed and it will probably look different in the fall, at least for the 2021 school year. Uh, Emotional engagement, the importance of relationships and that feeling when relationships dissipated for a lot of us in the, you know, day-to-day space. Um, The relationship with content, is this really matter? Is this important to me? And then finally, that cognitive engagement, what is worth my time as a learner to invest, to invest in and to engage with? So I think about you know, the PVC teaching framework and I think about planning. We kind of have planning kind of divided into three areas right now, if you will. One is purpose. Um, what about this task is, makes it life worthy? Why am I studying this? Why does it matter? And then we think about the people. Who are our students? What do we know about our students? What do our students need? What are all the strengths and gifts and interests and cultural attributes that they bring to our classrooms? And then what's the process? What are the processes that we can put in place to really, really support these learners and so that they can have high levels of agency and deep, deep levels of understanding? So when you think about that planning process for you, when you're you know, in your own classroom recently, I'm or if you're working with teachers, or if you're doing kind of some side-by-side co-teaching, if you will, how do you go about planning for student agency and understanding equity? I'm wondering if you could share your vision with us or perhaps an example. Uh, You know, it's funny. I was asked to write a a little blog for CCIRA, our local reading conference uh, chapter. And um, I just, I, I just was so, I just I was scared to do it because I hadn't been in the classroom the last three months, like classroom teachers had been. And I thought, okay, unless you've uh, taught during a pandemic, you shouldn't be telling people who are doing it, how to do it. And uh, what, what I, what I wrote about was, was what I would do if I get to teach this um, credit recovery course that I'm hoping um, I'll be able to do this summer. Like how, how would I plan for it? And, and one of the things that came to mind was um, getting to meet these kids probably virtually. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And, and just sending them some things that I was curious about, like just sort of modeling my curiosity to then hopefully entice them to share some questions. And maybe the questions are going to be, you know, you know, should I, you know, maybe, maybe they'd be really pertinent around the protests that we're seeing, or, or maybe they would just be like, why do we need school? And when am I going to see my friends again? But I think just that idea of trying to figure out what they're curious about and looking for patterns to help come up with some juicy topic. I think that would be a starting point because I think their curiosity um, has sort of been shift, has, has sort of been shoved off to the side well, we pull off the curriculum guides from the shelf and just plan away without thinking about, you know, what the kids are going to care about. So I think that's that first piece. I'm also thinking about a high school teacher who maybe has 150 contacts. I don't think I would start planning with five different sections in mind. I would start thinking about topics and then using those chat rooms on Zoom 
um, as a way to group kids with similar interests from all my sections, almost like a one room schoolhouse back in the day. Um, because I think what, you know, if we go back to that achievement gap, opportunity gap, uh, I think maybe grouping kids around text or topic or task or target might be more equitable than around test scores or reading levels. So um, I'm trying to view the technology piece that scares me to death because I'm not very good at it um, as as a way to rethink how we get to know kids deeper and how we uh, meet their needs um, regardless of the class they're in or the course they're in or what they're currently reading right now or their level right now. Mm, so that's I mean, so interesting to think about the whole idea of community. You just opened it wide up. Yeah. Really thinking about that this could be a this could be a vast community of learners and we could cluster or work together based on interests and based on curiosities or based on tasks that seem appealing or engaging to us. And so that idea of holding on to those strands of planning and community, thinking strategies, workshop, discourse, and assessment we're thinking about what's at the core yeah. and then adjusting that to context. So let's take one another look at one of those strands. What about the thinking strategies? You know, you've done a lot of writing, a lot of work over the years with thinking strategies. I actually, when you were in the classroom, had opportunities to, to watch you teach and hear your students use those strategies as actual vehicles for understandings, um, not just tips or tricks or, you know, activities, if you will. So when you think about the work of today, either in a virtual space or in a, you know, a regular classroom in the months to come, how do the thinking strategies help support or close, if you will, that opportunity gap? Well, I think for me, what the strategies helps kids do is get unstuck. And I think for a lot of kids who um, have gaps, they never learn how to get unstuck. So while they were trying to figure out what to do, they just sat there and everybody kept on moving forward. And so I think the, the, the most powerful thing for, the, for me about the thinking strategies is that they're just tools to help kids keep going, uh, to dig into the reading and the writing and, 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 and the talking. And I, I think the reason I was able to go from primary to secondary was that idea that those thinking strategies are not bound by one standard. Um, and I think we get ourselves into trouble that there's one standard that we have to hit. I think there's different standards based on whatever it is um, we're going for, right? So like if you're reading a, a picture book, there's a, there's a certain standard of how to be metacognitive. But when you're picking up a journal article, there's, there's a different standard. And so I think that idea of getting away from, okay, this is the only way kids are going to show proficiency is by hitting this one standard and we get away from that. And we really look at, okay, what are students, what do we want them to be able to know, to make and to do? And then 
who are the people in the world that really do that? What what's what are the different standards that they have to hit? And then that becomes um, the models that we're, you know, we use those as models and we use those as, as um, standards for success or our criteria for success, I guess. So I think that's kind of, you know, this is a lot of you thinking for me. It's really, it's, it's really kind of mushy, um, but it's giving me the opportunity to get away from that stupid achievement gap thing. And also, you know, the standard that we have to hit. I think there's more than one standard. And so with the thinking strategies, that was a way to, to kill, you know, kill both those birds with one stone. Right. So then let's take you right back into that thinking uh, that I might have derailed just a bit ago about your credit recovery course. So if you're teaching that course this summer, you'd mentioned, you know, really capitalizing on students' curiosity, building communities around those questions and interests. And when you think about your planning and maybe integrating those thinking strategies as strategies, how do you know which strategies you might use in that context? Would you plan something like that ahead of time? Or does your planning look and sound a little bit different in that regard? Yeah. So I think I think um, it, if I get to do this class, it's going to probably be around this whole idea of, you know, what am I willing to risk? And it might have something to do with, you know, uh, how do I use protest? How do I speak out? I don't know, something around that. But um the, probably the very first thinking strategy, and I, I seem to do this in all my demo lessons, is that idea of helping kids to recognize they're stuck and that it's okay to admit that you're stuck. Good readers know when they're confused. And I think just that piece of becoming more metacognitive opens up the door to all the thinking strategies. Okay, so when you're stuck, here's one thing you can do. If that doesn't work, here's another thing that you can do. Um, but I think as kids get older, they start to become... Um, and rightly so, they they want to hide, they want to hide that they're not great readers, and so they fake it a lot, and they try to you know just get through it, as opposed to saying, "Hey, I don't get it. I'm stuck right here. What? You know, show me some ways to get unstuck." So I think from that, I, and I hate to say anything's lockstep, but um, that seems to be the pattern of of my very first thing that I'm showing for showing kids, and then mm-hmm. and then this idea of you know, asking a question or, or what do you already know? Like, what do you already know about this? Um, that's an entry point. And if you don't know anything about it, that's okay. What are you wondering about it? So I think, I think for me, the thinking strategies um, are more fluid than they were 20 years ago um, based on, on once again, what the kid needs and kind of creating a menu of, okay, here's all the different things you can try. Uh, they're not going to work, you know, one strategy isn't going to work with everything. And so if one doesn't work, here's try something else. What, what did you figure out? Um, because I think what I really want them to be able to do is to, is to figure out how to get unstuck when there's no one around to do it for them so they can keep learning and reading and writing and doing things uh, without a teacher there in the classroom to do it for them. But that's going to be critical, especially in, if you're engaging in a remote course or distance learning, and this idea of credit recovery. I know also a passion area for yours is the student engagement model or the workshop model. And thinking about, you know, what are the rich tasks? What is the meaningful work that kids engage in during work time? And for you, I know that that time is critical, work time. Um, the opportunity for you to listen in on conversations and confer with students and, and listen to their discourse. 
Let's talk a little bit, if you don't mind, out loud about that idea around the workshop model and discourse and assessment. What are you thinking? What does that look like and sound like in your mind right now? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we sometimes see the real simple models where you've got a little mini lesson and then you've got this big giant work time and then the debrief for the reflection time. And, um, you know, for me, those, that work time tends to be broken up a little bit depending on the kids and what they need. And, um, I see these chat rooms as being a way to, um, send, you know, send kids off to work while I can kind of snoop and listen in and then pull them back together if I need to, um, to model something, uh, to get back into that reading and that writing. Um, you know, one of the things that I'm, uh, you know, worried about is as, as, as a class, you know, in the classroom, you can peek over their shoulders and you can kneel down next to them and say, okay, what are you figuring out? What do you need next? Uh, and so I'm trying to think about, okay, what would that look like? What would that part of workshop look like remotely? And, um, you know, I think, I think we could have the luxury of, of time and getting away from 49 minute class periods. Um, thinking about, all right, I'm going to meet with this group at 1015. Um, we're, I'm going to do a mini lesson and then we're going to set up a time together. You're going to email me when your, your small group is going to meet and I'll pop in on that or one-on-one session. I'm just thinking after hearing teachers, I mean, they're they're working from five o'clock in the morning till five o'clock at night, answering text messages and thinking, all right, if we could set set up some schedules. Here's when the mini lesson might be for seven minutes. Then I'm going to let you guys go and you're going to decide when you're going to practice. And then we're going to meet again together, but you're going to also have your group. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think the group is where they will have, um, uh, you know, the, the, I think their group is what's going to hold them accountable, not necessarily me. And I think I think also if they're creating, if they're, if they're doing work for an audience bigger than me, that's the other piece. So that work time is only going to be um, successful if kids have lots of reasons to read and write. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's the other piece, you know, is it, is it a topic? Is it a text they want to read? Is it a task that they're figuring out with their group? So I th- I'm also thinking a lot about the reasons, the different reasons kids are going to um, re-engage so that work time is longer. Cause I, you know, I just don't, I think kids can avoid teachers better now than ever before. And we're just going to have to figure out ways to connect to them um, and and really connect to them emotionally and cognitively because the behavioral piece, they're going to outsmart us. I mean, it's so exciting to hear about opportunities and optimism for ways in which we can engage with students in a remote learning context. Um, It's been really, really interesting to have this planning conversation with you because it's taking some instructional practices that we know well, that we've known for a long time and are still trying to figure out, but now they're shifting and trying to figure them out in a completely different dimension almost. So as we wrap up our conversation this afternoon and you're thinking about, you know, how do these strands of the PEBC framework really support understanding agency and equity, what else would you want to share with the group or what else are you thinking about in terms of meeting those outcomes for kids? 
Well, this kind of goes back to the, that blog that I wrote. Like I, I just am very humble to um, about the work teachers have been doing and, I, and I'm, and I'm uncomfortable suggesting what they should do when I'm not in the classroom right now. And so I think what I would, what I would love, what I've been telling teachers that I see is just um, be kind to yourself, but also be kind to the kids. Like that tending piece is, is, is so important right now. And this is this that kids are going to be so far behind. We're never going to get them caught up. I think is a bunch of baloney. I think kids have continued to learn during this pandemic. They've just maybe learned different things that weren't on a scope and sequence. And that idea of, you know, what kind of readers and writers and thinkers do, do we want to continue to grow? And, um, you know, running roughshod over them isn't going to be the way to do it. And beating yourself up isn't going to be the way to do it. It's going to be through tenderness. Hmm. Chris, thank you so much. At the beginning of our conversation today, I asked you, you know, how do you do it? How do you figure out what everyone's wondering about and then write about it? And with great humility, you said, you're just trying to figure out the things that you don't know yet. And after our conversation today, I can't wait to read or hear from you, or what you're going to figure out this summer as you teach this, this remote course. Um, your students are going to have a great gift of you as their leader with flexibility and care and tenderness for them, but also that high expectation for learning for each and every student. Thank, so thank you. Thank you, Michelle. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining us today. We hope our time together bolstered your agency and understanding. PEBC is headquartered in Denver, Colorado, and works locally and nationally to cultivate agency, equity, and understanding, as described in Wendy Ward-Hoffer's newest book, Phenomenal Teaching. PEBC provides customized on-site professional development and coaching for schools and districts, facilitates a variety of institutes and seminars, and offers an array of online learning experiences for all educators. We also prepare new teachers via the PEBC Teacher Residency Program. Check us out at pebc.org. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. <laughs>